Hello and welcome to There's Hope America and the preaching ministry of Dr. Richard Lee. On today's program, Dr. Lee brings a message entitled, You Too Can Have an Empty Tomb. Today is Easter, of course. Well, let me tell you this. Every Sunday is Easter. That means you better be back next Sunday. Every Sunday is, is Easter morning. For the Lord is risen today. Today I want to talk to you about the fact of you too can have an empty tomb. We talk about the empty tomb. Oh, it is real. But you too can have one. Our text is taken in Matthew chapter 27, beginning of verse 57. Listen as I read. Now when the evening had come, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be given to him. And when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in clean linen cloth and laid it in his new tomb, which he had hewn out of rock. And he rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb and departed. Tombs, graves. You know, I don't really like to even say those words. I'm not into tombs and graves. Why? Because when I think about a tomb, I think about Wet, dark, cold, and death. That's what we think about. None of us like to go and to, to, to walk through a cemetery and, and look at the, the graves that are fresh because we knew that someone had recently died. So we're not preoccupied with tombs and we're not preoccupied with the cold dampness of death. But occasionally we will go to those cemeteries whether we go to visit a friend or go visit someone else who has died. And we recognize that their body is there, but their spirit's with the Lord. But we also want to pay our respects to them by going. And often as we go through those cemeteries, we'll begin to read what's on those headstones. You know, our family, Judy and I and the kids, we used to travel and preach in a different church every single week. One year we did 42 weeks as I preached every single night of the week. That's a lot of preaching. My wife and kids could have preached my sermons then. In fact, my wife still preaches to me, nevertheless. Sorry about that, sweetheart. But uh, we, would, we would go to these little country churches. I love country churches. They feed the preachers. I love those little rural churches. Some of the sweetest people in America found in rural churches. And uh, inevitably, we were traveling in an Airstream trailer because we had to have some semblance of home. And so we would have to park next to the church, hook up to the church and uh, put our water and, and electricity and so forth so we could live in that trailer for that week that we preached there. But inevitably, 90% of the time we would park next to the church, next to a cemetery. My kids grew up in the cemetery. But, you know, I would sometimes uh, get out of the trailer during the day, walk around a little bit, and I would go to read those uh, those uh, tombstones. Read what it said about people. Because you can learn a lot about people by reading what's on their tombstone. Many of them would just have their name and the dates in which they live. Some would say mother. Some would say heaven. They would often say many things. I'm thinking about those also in our, in our nation, in our national history, and others who have written things in their tombstone that decri describes their lives. Think about George Washington, our president. On his tombstone is written this, looking into the portals of eternity teaches us 
that the brotherhood of man is inspired by God's word. God's word, our president. Jefferson Davis, at rest, an American soldier and a defender of the Constitution. Could that be say, said of our men and women today? Defender of our Constitution. An unknown American soldier. Listen to what's written on his gravestone. To save your world, you ask this man to die. Would this man, if he could see you now, ask why? In the old North Cemetery in Nantucket, Massachusetts, is this sort of humorous headstone. Under the sod, under the trees, lies the body of Jonathan Pease. He is not here, but only his pod, for Pease shelled out and went to God. <laughs> Rodney Dangerfield's headstone. You remember him? Don't get no respect. Rodney Dangerfield, listen to his headstone. There goes the neighborhood. Hank Williams Sr., just like I thought, I would never get out of this world alive. <laughs> then there's the lady that talked a lot, Arabella Young. Beneath this stone, a lump of clay, lies Arabella Young. Upon her death, the 24th of May, she began to hold her tongue. <laughs> An old maid. Here lies the body of Mary Jones, her life at knew no terrors. She lived an old maid, she died an old maid, no runs, no hits, no errors. <laughs> On the tombstone of a congressman, really these words. Here lies a, a congressman and an honest man. Neighbors were walking by one day and said, how can they bury two men in one tomb? <laughs> but if they we're going to give an epitaph to the tomb of Jesus. The stone cutter wouldn't have had time. If he did, he would have had to cut in that tombstone. He is not here, for he is risen. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Today, my friend, he lives. But see, Jesus is all about life. He's all about life. He said, I have come that you might have life. Why am I here? That you might have life. And you might have life more abundantly, more magnificently, more amazing than you've ever had or ever even understood or ever even thought you ever could have. I've come that you can have life and life more abundantly. D.L. Moody, great preacher of the last century, was a young man at this time. He was going to do his first funeral. So he thought, how can I preach a funeral? So he began to study the Bible he wrote. And he, not he didn't write the Bible, but he writes about studying the Bible. He was studying the Bible, trying to find out how Jesus handled sermons. So as he was looking through the Bible, he found that Jesus went to many funerals. But Jesus never preached a funeral sermon because every funeral that Jesus went to, the dead heard his voice and came to life. Why? I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. You know what our nation needs? You know what our world needs? Our world doesn't need more preaching. Our world doesn't need more singing. Our world needs to hear the voice of Jesus. If I be lifted up, 
Not of denominations be lifted up, not of religious sects be lifted up, not of uh, religions be lifted up, but if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. The tomb is empty. We find in Mark chapter 16 a beautiful, beautiful account of that occurrence. It says there that Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Salome, these women had gone to the tomb to visit Jesus. And I will read beginning in Mark 16, verse 2. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came to the sepulcher, to the tomb at the rising of the sun. And they said to themselves, who of us shall roll the stone away from the door of the sepulcher? And when they looked, they saw that the stone was already rolled away, for it was very great. 2,000 years ago, the tomb gave him up. You go there today and look at the tombs that represent his tomb, whether or not they be his tomb is irrelevant. Those tombs are empty. Why? Because he is alive. You see, we live in a world of pluralism today. It's cool in academia, and it's cool now in Congress, and it's cool in government to have a pluralistic view. What is that? That all religions are equal. Well, they are. What? Yeah. All religions are equal, but Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship with the risen Son of God. You understand that? Just choose your religion. I'll choose this religion. I'll choose Islam. All right, you choose that religion. I'll choose Hinduism. You choose that religion. I'll choose this one. I'll choose that one. I'll choose the other. Go ahead and choose your religions. That's all right. But Christianity is not one of them. Because, see, all the leaders, all the teachers are dead and rotten in their graves, but our Savior lives. That's why you hear me say, and you probably get tired of hearing it, me say it. If so, just block it out of your mind. It's not about denominations. It's not about churches. It's not about pastors. Although denominations are wonderful, you need a denomination. Although churches are wonderful. We have many churches and those churches are wonderful. We have great pastors in many of those churches. That's all right. That's wonderful. But let me tell you something. The consummate understanding and, uh, and the consummate fact of the matter is it's all about how you have your relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you know him today? He says, I've come to you that you might have life and have life more abundantly. Religion defined as man's effort to reach God. I want to reach God. So what do I do? I've got to go to church so many times. I've got to take communion so many times. I've got to give a certain amount of money. I've got to stand on the street corner and sell various things and beg people for money. I've got to do all those things so I can work my way towards heaven to please God. That is religion. But God said, I've got something better than that. I want you to know my son. Christianity is God reaching down to man saying, you cannot earn your way to heaven. It's by my grace that I bring you to heaven. By grace are you saved. By faith, not of your works, lest any man should boast, the writer of the Apostle Paul tells us. But we can be free of our tombs. Are you in a tomb today? Hey, I've been in tombs in the past. What do you mean, a physical tomb? Oh, no, I've been trapped in tombs, though. How about this, the tomb of doubt? You know, I don't know if I'm ever going to make it. I really doubt it. How could I ever be forgiven for what I've done in my life? I really doubt it. How will my marriage ever make it? I, I doubt it'll ever make it through. 
How will my kids in the day and age in which we live and all the confusion and all the junk, how will they grow up to be great American citizens and be fine young men and women? I doubt that will happen. You know, I, I guess I'm just a nobody. Guess it just, I'm not worthy of anything. Even if I tried to do something, I couldn't do it because I just can't succeed at anything. See, there are 10,000 different doubts that it can entomb your mind and your heart and rob you of the joy that God has given you. Remember Thomas, I mentioned him earlier. Thomas, there was Jesus, the resurrected Lord that appeared to the disciples. Thomas wasn't in the group, but Thomas came in the room and they were all smiling and happy. And Thomas said, what's, what's going on, guys? Well, that's not the King James Version, by the way. That's the Lee Version. What's going on, guys? Well, we've seen Jesus. You what? They crucified him, but we've seen him. Well, I'll tell you what, you may be seeing a ghost, but I'll not believe him till I take my hands and put them in his nail prints and I touch his side. About that time, Jesus appeared in the room. Can you imagine Thomas' face? Can you? Oh, there he was. Jesus was there. Come, Thomas, feel my wounds, feel my side. Thomas went over and he felt his wounds and felt his side. People say, will I know my mother in heaven? Will I be able to, to, to go to heaven and hug my parents? Well, let me tell you something. In heaven, we're, we have the same glorified body as our Lord does. They touched him. They felt him. He ate with them. Certainly you will. It's ridiculous. Certainly you will. But Thomas said when he felt him and he saw those wounds in his hands and in his feet and in his side, he said, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said, blessed are you when you see and believe. But blessed are they at First Redeemer Church in 2010 who do not see and yet they believe. Yet they believe. You see, we need to see Jesus with our hearts. The problem in the world today is that we don't see Jesus with our hearts. We've got too many things, television, magazines, uh, iPods, iPads now, everything, just stuff one after another that we cannot see Jesus. We don't have time. Yes, we do have time. We just don't give it time. We don't give it time. Then there's the tomb of fear. You know, this Bible has 365 fear knots in it. Those words are together 365 times in this book. Why? One for every day of the year. Fear not, for I am with you always. I will be with you to the end of your world. Fear not, fear not, fear not. The Lord is telling us to forget our fears. We live in a time of fear today. Fear. Fear. What do you fear? Fear, fear disease. Fear uh, uh, lack of uh, wealth. I'm going to lose my job. All types of fears. Someone said this one time, that fear is like building bridges over rivers you'll never cross. Fear is like sand in the gears of life. Your life's going along, it's, it's doing smooth. Your, your life's uh, having some of the joy and the happiness that God has promised and all of a sudden sand gets in there and begins to grind those gears to a halt and brings you into depression and fear and doubt. What is that that's fear? But the Lord says this in 2 Timothy. He says, God has not given you the spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind. You know what a sound mind means? It means a mind of peace. Well, how can I have a mind of peace? Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee. Get your mind on Jesus. You want to really get discouraged today? 
listen to talk radio all day. I mean, you're going to go, ah! Walk in the door. How was your day, honey? Oh! Craziness. Go home, you listen to talk radio all day, the world's coming to an end. You go home, you watch television. Just one thing after another, one thing after another, one thing after another. And you know, you go to read the books, you sit down, one thing after another. Confusion. We're living in a, a world of confusion. And that brings us to the fact of the tomb of confusion and despair. You know what confusion means? It means to be perplexed or bewildered. It's like you can't get your hands around things. You know, it's, it's like you got a problem and you always love to solve your problems, but you can't get your hand around it. You guys, you know, when you work on your car and the silly thing won't start in the mornings and you go out there and say, well, I'll check the, the batteries. No, I'll check the starter. I'll check this, that, and the other. And you can't find what it is. And your wife comes out and she looks at you and says, have you got it fixed yet? Well, not yet. Well, hurry up. I got to go somewhere. Got to go to the mall. Okay, okay, okay. So you're working all over that car trying to get it. You can't get your hands around it. You can't get the problem solved. It's like raising a teenager. Be careful now. Well, I know because I once was a teenager. You may not believe that, but I was once a teenager. You know, you, you can't reason, you can't logic sometimes. You can't, can't get your hands around the problem. Well, that's a bewilderment. We're living in a bewilderment in our nation. A bewilderment in our world. How do we get this back under control? How do we do this? It's confusion. And then despair is loss of hope. So people living in confusion and despair, because they can't get their hands around it, they're living in loss of hope. Listen to me, you can live without food, you can live without water for a period of time, but you can't live a second without hope. Hope, a future. The Bible says we have a hope and a future. Can you imagine the disciples, how, how confused they were, how bewildered they were, how, how, how desperate for hope they were when they saw Jesus on the cross? You open your Bible and you read about the crucifixion. Who do you see? Do you see those 11 disciples who remained? No, you just see one. His name is John. He's just there with Jesus' mother. Where are the others? Where was bold Peter, the one who cut off the ear of those who came to, to, to take our Lord away? Where is bold Peter, the one who walked upon the water? I don't know where he was. You don't even find him in here. He's not even there. Where's uh, all the others? Where's, where's uh, Matthew? Where is uh, James? Where, where are all these others? They're not to be found. Why? Because Jesus was hanging on the cross. Can you imagine how they felt in their hearts? Goodness gracious. I've given up my career. I've given up my family. I've given up my friends to be his disciple. He's supposed to be the king of the universe. And there he is on a cross. There he is. While they have beaten him, they put a crown on his head. They've stripped him naked. They pulled his beard from his face. They've done all those things. There he is though. Look at him. He's my hero. He was the Messiah. What am I going to do now? Can you imagine the time during that three days? Think about it, three days. What were they doing? Were they having revival? No, 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 no. You don't find the disciples in the Bible between the crucifixion and the resurrection. You don't know what they're doing. I'll tell you what they're doing. They probably, some of them went home and come back together again. Probably apologized to their friends and neighbors. You know, we thought he was the Messiah, but 
I'm so sorry. I, I'm sorry that I believed that. I, I just became a fanatic. But then they got back together and Jesus came in the room. And when Jesus came in the room, it all changed. These men who were fearful, these men who were cowardly, these men who did not even show up to support him during the moments he died upon the cross, these same men ultimately spread the gospel throughout the world and gave their lives, their physical lives, because they saw a resurrected Lord. Now listen to me. Listen closely. If I even doubted, if I somehow doubted Jesus' resurrection, I would look at 11 men, and I would look at other men, like the Apostle Paul, who lived and died for the cause of Jesus, the resurrected Lord. Men do not live that long and die those kinds of deaths for a lie. They just don't do it. One of them breaks ranks. One of them said, I'm not going to have, you know, we all got together and planned this thing out and we took Jesus away. No, they never did that. But they were ordinary folks like you and me. They weren't the intelligentsia. They weren't the elitist. They were just ordinary folks like we are. Yet they did not, not one single one of them denied it. Not one single one of them said, I am going to preserve my life instead of pr proclaim that Jesus is the resurrected Lord. No, they did not because they had seen him and Christ was alive. See, that's what Jesus does when he brings himself into our hearts and our lives. Full of doubt and bewilderment and despair. Questioning which way to take. He brings peace and he brings joy and he brings life abundant. I've got a question for you. Listen to me. What kind of tomb are you in today? What kind of tomb are you trapped in? Dark, full of despair, seeming without hope. Jesus Christ wants to come. He wants to roll away the stone and gives you the light of what he is. I am the resurrection and the life because I live Listen, because I live, what? Because I'm resurrected, you'll live. You can be resurrected also. Or you too can have an empty tomb. Let's pray together. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. I wonder, can you say, I want to know Jesus? Can you say, there's a place and time in my life I can look back to and know that because of that moment, I met him. Are you here today and you, could say, you would say, Pastor, I can't say in my life that I'm sure that Jesus lives in my heart. Well, let me say this. Today you can be sure. You can leave this building today without any shadow of a doubt that Jesus is your Savior and Lord. He said, whosoever comes to me, I will in no wise cast out meaning that anybody can come to Jesus. Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Would you be willing to ask Jesus into your heart today? I mean, give him a heart. Let him open that tomb that you're in of sin and unforgiveness. And let him forgive you, become your savior and your Lord. Simply pray this prayer. Just say, dear God, I come to you today asking you to come into my heart and forgive my sin. Take away the nature of sin that's found within me. 
Cover all those sins that I've committed with your atoning blood. And Jesus, become my Savior and become my Lord. I now give you my heart, Lord Jesus. And all that's within me, I pledge to thee. In your precious name, amen. As we come to the conclusion of today's program, I want to invite you, if you've not yet done so, to invite God into your life by praying to receive His Son, Jesus Christ, into your heart today. The way we receive God's complete forgiveness is clear according to the Scriptures. First of all, we repent of our sins. Then we tell God our faith, our belief in Jesus Christ as His Son. Thirdly, we commit our lives to Christ as the Savior of our soul. And fourthly, we follow His direction for our personal life as found in the Bible. So if you want to know Jesus in the fullness of his love and forgiveness, pray a prayer like this with me. Just say, Dear God, I know that I have sin in my life, so I come before you in repentance, admitting my sin and seeking your forgiveness. I place my faith in your Son, Jesus Christ, and commit my life to him as my Lord and Savior. And I pray this by faith. In the name of Jesus, amen. You have been listening to a broadcast of the teaching ministry of There's Hope America and Dr. Richard Lee. If you'd like to know more about the ministry of There's Hope America and its many books, writings and materials that point America back to God, visit us online at thereshope.org. Once again, it's thereshope.org. Or you can call us at 1-800-628-HOPE. That's 1-800-628-HOPE. May God bless you until next time.